Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, happy beginning of summer, everybody. Welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside Chris Shamides, Division II Coach of the Year, defending national champion. I'm going to say it over and over until you no longer hold the title. You're going to be like Ali, Muhammad Ali. You'll just be like, uh, you'll always be the champ in our eyes, uh, Chris, even as, as you're moving on, moving on with that career of yours. So um, good to see you, man. I've been on the road like a madman here. Uh, we just, uh, I, I am staying at probably the shittiest motel I have ever stayed in. <laughs> I'm checking underneath the bed for dead bodies, for God's sakes. Uh, Where are you, Atlantic City? I am not even in Atlantic City. I'm outside Atlantic City. I'm in a, um, a movie uh, called uh, Teaching While Black. So that's, uh, so I was cast as the lead. No, <laughs> no, the whitest man in captivity. Uh, no, I play a college, I play a college professor, which is acting. Uh, no way. Uh, yeah. So I'm the, I'm the provost, the head of the school and I come out and so um, it's, it's a buddy of mine. It's he's it's his second film. He's a Yale grad, one of my safety schools, and uh, he's a, he's a very talented guy uh, named Aaron Moss. So uh, I'm excited to be a part of the project and uh, on the road with Fear of Heights. So getting ready for Edinburgh, man. You got you got to come over. You guys, the whole crew does. Get the Octane Media crew and Chris Shamanis. Uh, maybe a little uh, any Scottish women players over there. You could probably recruit for. Edinburgh. I would love to go to Edinburgh. I would love. I've heard great things about that city. I've never been. I've been to Ireland, but I've not been up to that area. Yeah, I mean, well, they're Celtic, but it's uh, it's supposed. I haven't heard a bad word about it. So the the, the good part for me is uh, I don't move. I mean, <laughs> at one o'clock in the afternoon, and I at this great theater. So I'm there from the third to the twenty eighth. I'm going to just be sort of landlocked, and I don't have to travel. So I'm looking forward to that. But I asked a bunch of people. I'm like, well, I asked my producer. I'm like, why one o'clock? She goes, oh, that's a great time. You mean one and five? She goes like that. The big stars go on at, at eight, but uh, you really want to go on before one or one and one and five. And I go, why is that? She goes, oh well, everybody gets shit faced after five. I'm like, oh great, ah, okay, yeah, so you're yes. in prime time. You're basically uh, prime time, one piece. I'm uh, alcoholic prime time. Yeah. Well, just, why Edinburgh? How did that happen? Well, it's the Edinburgh Fringe uh, Festival, so it's a big, it's a big festival, and I think. You know, the story, Fear Fights is basically a, a sort of an immigrant story. And, you know, like like your story as well, all of us. Oh, actually, one of my jokes is my parents were born in the old country, uh, Brooklyn, New York, um, <laughs> which is so true because yeah. it's such a melting pot back then. Um, you know, and uh, I, I tell this, well, I don't tell this in the play, but it's funny. My, you know, my father enlists in the army at 17 because one of his friends had been killed, and they all go down. Seven guys from the from the neighborhood, and it was just a mishmash of everything. And uh, there's one guy; he's not alive anymore, but he was the last guy to survive. He had been in World War II and the Korean War. And I brought my daughter to meet him when she was like 11 or 12. And um, he said, "Your dad was a, a great soldier and a good man and a good man. We were a good group of guys, mostly mixed, couple of Guineas, few Jews. We went off and fought the Gooks and Chinks." I'm like. Oh my God. Uh, oh, what am I going to correct this 92 year old man? My right. like, um, she's like, daddy, I think he's a racist. I'm like, no, he's a hero, honey. And your generation needs to know the difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Even, even movies like, uh, uh, oh man, the baseball one, uh, the little league baseball one, uh, field of dreams. No, no. The little kids, uh, the bad news bears. Oh, oh, the bad, bad news bears. bears. You're going way back. Yeah, if you hear like all those words used there, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that. I, didn't, I forgot about those days, you know? What was that? That was uh, not Carl Malden. That was uh, Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau. Yeah. And, uh, I heard a great story about him, too. We, um, he, he married this woman, but he said he, he met her on a set and she used a bad word. So he asked her out. And the guy goes, well, why'd you ask her out? She said a bad word. He goes, well, because I 
I knew I'd get lucky. <laughs> he wound up marrying her. There you go. <laughs> so I don't know how lucky it was then. Uh, but so, hey, so uh, I missed the Grenada game on the road. I was traveling. It was in the air. Did, uh, did you watch it? It seems like uh, Jesus Ferreira, you know, basically, it's funny, this whole Twitter sphere, man, I don't know what to listen to, what not to, but it seems like people are pretty. They jump. The, the reactions. You can tell some of the people haven't played because it's just sort of like, Guys find their groove. They find their streak. Uh, you need to get comfortable with where you're playing. Not that you have much time in World Cup development there. But I guess he missed a few early on, uh, which pissed everybody off. Apparently all the, the fantastic goal scorers at home. And then, uh, you know, sort of righted the ship with a hat trick. Uh, fantastic uh, goal. That couple, that first one he hit. Um, or the second one, I think. But... Seems like he's found his stride. I think he's solidified himself. It seems like uh, they're looking for that second number nine. What were your your thoughts on the game? Because that's the position yeah. that us all, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's mixed thoughts. I, you know, I, if you look at it in terms of, oh, it was zero zero in the forty second minute. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's probably not what you wanted, and and you would you would probably hope to say that. Look, you know, we'd love to say we'd we'd love to be aggressive about coming out early, having full control, many chances, an early goal. Obviously, that is you know, the intention that they probably set as a staff, but they didn't get there till the 42nd minute because it's a sport. It's not that easy, right? Right. But right, they, right. Did, they did get there. And at the end of the 90 minutes, I think there was one thing that you had to have. You know, you, you had to feel that that we were going to score multiple goals and you had to hang your hat on the idea that you were going to get a shutout. And in that sense, it's mission accomplished. 5-0, you know, they get their many goals. Uh, okay, yes, Ferrer gets a bunch. Look, it's not the best opponent in the world. But when you play a team that's not the best opponent in the world, you should score a bunch and not give up much. And in that sense, they did that. They rested Tyler Adams and the Pulisic's of the world and, you know, the A-plus list of their group. And they just right. gave, they gave McKinney minutes. You know, he's probably an yeah. A-plus guy, but they gave him the minutes because he's coming back from injury. So they wanted right. to work him in. Uh, and in that sense, it's an audition for all the, you know, the, the fringe players. So someone like Ariola has a great night as well and really helps his case. You know, it, and, and we've also been on both sides of the ball in that situation. We've been a team that's outgunned and we've been on a team that's superior to a lower level team. And man, it, it, that's this game. If you've played it, you realize like people can sort of park the bus, get stuck in, uh, not give up anything. But eventually uh fitness uh you know technique strategy all kind of comes into place so um it, it was you know I, I was really happy with uruguay and the way they played and played it out of the back and with composure and against those guys um you know uruguay's a great team so yeah what that's what's to be expected especially guys trying to solidify those last six positions maybe that that are up for grabs man that's you know you have a short window to sort of impress so, uh, you know, I, I, it's so funny. Ricardo Pepe was the hot one. And, uh, you know, now a, a, a PFOC was there. And, and now the, the, the new kid, Pulisic's friend, hit the PK. Um, you just got to peak at the right time and do it when you get the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think if you probably got the, the national team staff together, they would have preferred not to have played these games, right? Because right. They're, they're, they're going pretty well against the Uruguays of the world where those games actually bring value. You know, it challenges them in ways that they're going to have to face in the World Cup. And then here now you go down so many levels with all due respect to Grenada where it, it's, it's more of a friendly, it's more of a walking pace, it's more of a playing pace, jogging pace, and it is full-blown tested like you were against Uruguay. So it's not ideal for World Cup preparation, but you know they're signed up to do the Nations League, and in Europe, hey, you get great matches. You have Germany playing Italy and all these kinds of great matchups. But here we, get, we have to start with this you know, before we can get to playing the Mexicos of the world. So it's a bit of a different preparation path, but that's the only one we got at this time. I don't know if we necessarily solved the nine thing. You know, Ferreira scoring goals in that game. Well, he's supposed to score goals in that game. So right. do, you, do you get credit for that? Or is that, yeah, that's the job you're supposed to do. You know, the, 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 the real job is can you do a little bit more than what's expected and score against Uruguay? You know, and I don't think we've solved that. And, and 
you know, every time Aronson comes on, he does a good job for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's certain guys that are going to be hard to keep off the field and uh, how they play and how they schedule the three games over the World Cup cycle because now you know you're starting with Wales. So now once that's been decided, now you can start to plan out, okay, you got Wales and then you go with England and then you have Iran. So how do you play out your minutes accordingly? And they play similarly, Wales and, and you know, uh, and England, I would say a little bit. Although, you know, England obviously – uh, much better, but also Grenada's playing out of their mind, right? They're they're so excited to play, uh, you know, a top ranked team, yeah. uh, the United States. So um, you know they, they get their minutes, but I just think it, it it's a problem that other countries have had with who is peaking when, and it, it seems like we just don't have a definitive answer. So uh, I bet you, like you said, the staff must know the answer right now, and guys are just playing for those peripheral peripheral positions, but I, you know, I feel good for it. Uh, McKenny as well needs the minutes. You need those games to kind of basically screw around and, and knock it about. But, um, you know, we, we've got some guns, man. We've got some horses. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this, to this run and Wales is going to be, it's going to be a tough, tough matchup, but I feel good about that one. Well, how about Wales? You know, they come, the, the manager this week says, you know, he looks at the lineup for the World Cup and he says, oh, this is great that we're starting off the United States. It's a winnable game. I'm like, dude, like that's like literally the worst thing to say to an American is to say this is a winnable game. Like, right. I mean, he couldn't have, you know, drawn it up more perfectly. You talk about, you know, the the chalkboard in the locker room, which we don't have anymore, but that's certainly going to get pinned up there, you know, and it's like, man, you walked right into that one. Thank you. <laughs> Exactly. You know, and you know, as a coach, as sort of, you know, do not say anything that fires up the opponents. Yeah, it's rule number one. You look past the United States, which everyone always has in years past, uh, even when perhaps they shouldn't have. But I I love that because hopefully they're going to poster that right up on the on the locker room wall. Yeah, and and have the guys touch it as they're walking out every day. And I get and I get what he's saying, like because it's it's actually it's cultural. You know what I mean? Like it's real. There's a lot more realism in other countries about who you can beat and who you can't beat. In the, in the American philosophy and culture, we could beat anybody or we, we want to beat everyone. We make movies about the underdogs and all these right. things. Like it's an underdog culture. But they're, they're in a very realistic way saying, look, we don't think the United States is Argentina. We think we can win that game. But for the Americans, it's the worst thing you could possibly say. It's interesting. Yeah, to hear it, yeah. Now, let me, let me back up a bit because we were talking about Brendan Aronson, which uh, you're right. He is just uh, a firefly, man. He comes out and sparks uh, everything. He, he works hard on both sides of the ball, creates. Um, they've talked about putting him in the number nine position, in the center of the park, keeping Polisic outside. They tried Polisic a little bit inside, and he'd get lost um, there. Donovan used to be like that, right? Donovan, I... Oh, and I always thought to be out wide because he could just tort, you know, people with his change of pace. Um, yeah, I mean, when Landon was thriving with the U.S. national team under Bob Bradley, a lot of times he'd start wide, um, mm-hmm. but he was given a free roll to come underneath. And there was a lot right. of fluidity to how that team played. And this is what I've been arguing is that I think this team should do that, too, because it's not about Pulisic being central or wide. He should just be one of the attackers. And then you have to work around that. Now, the problem is is the way that their game model has been built to date, it's a little bit more restrictive. It's a little bit more about right. players in certain spots because they want to be able to counter-press, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to have to work that out. Like, How do we still get to those goals that we have within the game model but allow for certain freedoms within? So it's an interesting challenge. And, but Aronson, I mean, the phrase I would use is the guy makes plays. He just makes plays. you know, And that's, yeah. that's rare to come by. And he's got an act for it. So to me, he's in the team. What a wonderful development process he's gone through because, I mean, he, he's, his years were here. I mean, his father was a coach, played a Philly and, and then, you know, went over right about at the right time. I mean, and he's just, uh, uh, done, done, done a great job. He came out of nowhere. And I got to tell you, when I first saw him as a player, you know, you look at a, a player across the park and you're kind of like, oh, good. I, I got this. No, no problem. He doesn't look like a physical presence, but man, it's got wheels, gets yeah. stuck in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, I don't think you can keep him off the uh, off the field. So we got El Salvador uh, tomorrow night. This we're recording this on Monday from my lovely hotel room. If I don't get murdered tonight in my sleep from my hotel room, um, I'll be able to watch the game. <laughs> Hopefully, hold on, let me check the door. There's a drug deal going down next door, but uh, yeah, so we'll we'll check that out. Um, and also, you know, this is interesting. The you know FIFA just handed down five permanent subs for the summer. Now is is that because of 
key or it's, it's an article in Soccer America. I didn't have a chance to check it out, but that covers it. But I, I kind of don't like the five subs. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, this started with with the pandemic cycle and players not being all the way fit. And so they've opened it up now. Uh, and then you have jockeying going on where, you know, you have you have certain clubs like the Liverpools of the world who have great depth who want to keep the subs because they'll just run you, run you, run you because they know yeah. their depth is better than your depth. Uh, and they're masters at regeneration. So, you know, it's there's a little bit of that going on. But, yeah, I think it's a, the product of them playing at a different time of the year as well. A lot of these teams and managers are used to five subs right now, playing at the different time of the year where everyone's going to be pausing their their domestic leagues. So, you know, there's X amount of work in their legs already. So now this will allow for a little bit more rotation. But it'll be interesting to see because now the rosters or the games get managed differently than previous World Cup. Right, right. And, and I don't think this is good for the States because we have a young team, uh, fresher legs, uh, you're right, guys are in the middle of season. Um, but the game we love is is three subs, uh, you know, and you had to strategically really think about how you were going to insert people when and where. You remember Kobe coming in at, in the 75th minute and he would suddenly be like a burst of fresh air. Um, you know, Bob, Bob Bradley and Arena both and a lot of big coaches put a sub in about 75 minutes because you can make an impact at that uh, at that point in the game. Because, look, yeah, you know, we, I you, see you it. I see it differently. I see that it helps the U.S. I, I think it's, I mean, the U.S. is, uh, you know, when the, the bigger fish that they play against, the more they're going to want to hang their hat on their mobility, you know. And so mm-hmm. the more fresh players they can bring on, the more it evens the playing field for them. If they have to play a slower tactical or more technical game, I think those more tactical and technical teams could beat us out, you know, consistently. We saw flashes of that with Uruguay. But if you make it a little bit more of a, of a mobile game and allow for more subs, I think that actually suits the U.S., especially since we're kind of apples to apples. Like, it's not like we have level A, B, and C players. You know, we have a whole bunch of B-plus guys, you know, so we right. could rotate a lot of those guys and, and benefit from it potentially. That's true. I guess we do have some depth and guys are playing for positions. They're hungry and uh, it, it's a World Cup. I saw it done uh, again on Soccer America. I saw some nice video of the guys down in El Salvador. They, they, you know, they're getting together as a team. It gives guys like, um, um, you know, who haven't had a chance to play will play in El Salvador. I doubt they will uh, start Pulisic and, and well, McKinney might. Uh, he might play, what, the first 45 or maybe the second 45. He's playing himself back in shape. but. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I thought this was interesting. You love Italy, your Italian background. Uh, yes, Cellini is headed our way, huh? So obviously, I mean this this one hits close to home. This is my favorite defender of all time. You know, is my, it yeah. really? Oh yeah. I mean this even, guy, even over over Maldini. I love Maldini. So classy, right? You never so, made a mistake. Yeah, but Maldini is like classy and like almost like Beckenbauerish. You know, where he has such just he's just he's got a graceful style Chiellini's like a, a middleweight fighter you know what I mean like he, he will just knuckle down and fight and just I, I the way I look at him is just one of the the greatest defenders I've ever seen in the sense that if you if you if you take a player and strip down the qualities and and, and wipe away everything with the ball wipe away passing ability playing out of the back all those things and just prioritize let's whatever number seven of just pure defensive qualities I mean, he's got an A-plus in every single one of those boxes, and there's very few players who have that. So I'm a big fan of his. Would would will be good in any team. Now, okay, 37 years old, but he's coming in under a, a coach who, a manager, Steve Trundle, who is a defender himself, so very much is going to know and understand what he brings to the table. And I think with all of these older guys that come in, even though that's not necessarily the model that MLS is pursuing recently, it's mm-hmm. more about the younger ones that they can sell on, like the Diego Rossi's of the world. But there is a case, you know, that if, if a club and a player can meet in the middle and say, look, we want you to come in and have a mentoring role, you know, to play at times, to play maybe sometimes more, but to have a mentoring role, uh, if he buys into that, then it becomes a perfect fit. So you have that dynamic, which apparently he's willing to buy into, which is crucial to this. Uh, he's buying into a manager who has a good defensive stability. He's really brought a lot of that to LAFC. That's why they're doing so well in the West. And then you also have a, an LAFC team that has some young, really young defenders, like Fall is a guy that, I mean, athletically is beyond even MLS level. Like he, he's as good as it gets athletically. So I wouldn't be surprised 
if he got bought at some point and then they're going to need another defender. So, you know, he might be the perfect guy to bring on it, obviously. Well, and that's obviously like having a coach on the, on the pitch mm-hmm. and, and nobody defends like the Italians for sure. Um, and, you know, Cellini was always fun to watch. Now, I didn't, I always, you wouldn't even know the answer to this question, but I would always watch him. I'm like, oh, he's playing psychological games with everybody, pretending he's just all real friendly and it's all fun and game. Oh, no, no worry, no worry. That's my Italian accent, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, but he's like, uh, you know, he's always smiling and, and nodding and, and then defend like a, like a son of a bitch, you know? I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, look, he's, he's part nuts and he's part... <laughs> unbelievable student and master of his craft you know so some of the information has come out you know how how he'd study up on opponents and you know get 45 minutes of video on the on the opposing forwards that he was going to face and try to get their tendencies and all these kinds of things so yeah there's a psychological aspect to it but a lot of it was just preparation and just understanding what his role was what those forwards prefer and trying to limit and take away not only what that individual likes but also collectively what a team likes to do within their game model. He not only watched the forwards he was going against, but he'd watch the goals that that team that he was going against would score. So he would like, you know, kind of like just really consume what the team likes to do so he can get a feel for certain tendencies and start to wipe them away with it. That's a coach, dude. That's a coach. So uh, he'll he'll be doing it. Uh, And 37, he's still playing at a high level. So, you know, um, to go back to the five substitutes, and then you talked about Man City, and they got they're getting Holland, Holland there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you were saying, seventy fifth minute, uh, Mares comes in. I mean, like it's a nightmare for for guys. And I understand, you know, what sort of the uh, Swansies and everybody else got to play these teams that are so stacked. Um, but the rich get richer, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And there's an underwritten thing that I don't think gets talked about enough. But like the cities of the world the better Barca teams, when you hold on to the ball that much and you make a team run and you punish them as much as they do, it's very common for them to score late goals, you know, because defenders fatigue, a little bit more mistakes happen, the windows get a little bit bigger, right. they're able to score late goals a little bit more often. So the five substitutions absolutely affects that. But at the same time, sometimes City and these teams are so, so good at it that it still holds true, you know, from a data perspective that they're getting more goals on the end of end of a half and the end of a game especially. Right, right. And now Liverpool is trying to keep up with Man City, uh, you know, where they, they're going to lose, where they're losing uh, Sadio Mane. Yeah, Mane. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe Salah, too. So uh, Yeah, I'm not sure about Salah. I think that it smells like a, a, a negotiation. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the move to Bayern, you know, and now they get Derwin Nunez coming over. So, you know, they get... Do you rate two, him, Nunez? Yeah, I'd like to honestly. I'd like to see more of them. I I don't know enough of them. Yeah, you know, I I will say this is that the 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 um, the quality of scouting and selection that Liverpool has gone through these last few years, their heads and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to signing players and having them have immediate impact. So by default, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's probably going to fit in perfectly because that's what everyone there does. Well, but it I is think, a change. It is going to be a change. Totally, uh, I think he's a bigger, a beefier kind of player. Um, and they grabbed uh, Jota, which because I think Jota, Jota played well against them. I think I think uh, you know, Klopp noticed him, and I think Nunes played well against Liverpool as well. He gave him fits and starts in the back, including uh, Van Dyke. So I think that was when Klopp actually saw it at ground level and said, "You know, let's check this guy out a little bit more." Yeah, you remember that game? He was he was pretty pretty lethal against. Yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I think back to even my own career, like there's a lot of signings that I've made where I've often pursued a player because of the recommendation of one of my current players who's gone against them, you know, and say, hey, what do you think of that guy? You know, and he'll say, oh, he's good. You know, and I I know my guy. And if my guy is saying that that guy's good, then that's another filter and checking of another box. So absolutely, you know, when you pull a Van Dyke aside and you say, what was it like going against this guy or going against that guy? He's going to know their game model. He's going to know how difficult it is to defend them and and give a coach good advice on, yeah, this guy would do really well here. That's a good point. I think I bet you're right because he did give Van Dyke some some fits and starts there. So, uh, yeah, you go in the locker room, you talk to him, go, shit, man, the guy's got game. Yeah, those conversations happen. Absolutely. And, you know, Firmino, I've loved to watch play. It's just he seems to have lost a step. He was, you know, he lost possession a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, He's been around. 
Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So he he's been he's one of the few guys that's been around from when Klopp arrived. That team has changed a lot, but he's one of the guys who has stayed through the whole time. I think he's suffering from not playing as regularly. That's all. You know, I mean, it's yeah, funny. that's right. He can't start for Liverpool, but he still plays for Brazil. It's it's amazing. <laughs> that's a good point. Oh my God. So, um, looking at the women's national team, they announced the roster. I was, I was kind of surprised. Rapino's back on. Are you, did that surprise you as well? I mean, Morgan's on there. I get it, but um, it seems like there's still political choices that are made in in picking the women's team, which the way the men's team used to be. That's a big uh, statement. That's a big I, I statement. Know, I know. I know, but you know, look, I had, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, if, I, I, I don't know about that one. I mean, all right, look, look, the women, right, the women yeah. that were players were able to remove two and arguably maybe three coaches from the, the coaching position of the national team, and I think you look at that uh, tenuous sort of time that you have as a coach uh, to sort of. Uh, right the ship or get the respect that you want and these guys didn't do, a couple of guys you know didn't do it and so um you have uh, you know look at greg burhalter like at look how tenuous it was for him in the beginning people like oh you know system and you know i don't get it and he's not playing the right people they're playing out of position and greg was just trying to build this thing now people aren't quite complaining as much about greg burhalter which is absurd because He's got the record right now. You got to kind of give it to him. Yeah, different. I mean, I think with Greg, and I think we've touched on this before, is like he, you know, there's no older players in this team. There's no one to manage and uh, from a big ego perspective. You know, they're all young and hungry, and that's by design. He can argue tactically, which is part of it, but there's also part of it, which is that there's, there's less people to manage, less egos to manage, less difficulties, you know? So that that's a part of this. When you talk about Megan Rapino. I mean, that, that's a question, right? There's a fundamental question, which is like, what is the value of bringing her into the pool? So there, there's only really two options. One is, you know, does it make the boat go faster, right? Like he, the coach obviously thinks it makes the boat go faster, that she's going to improve the squad. And that's either with how she plays, either as a starter or her selective super sub aspect of her, if she's a little bit older and she can bring an experience or you know, no, no different than any coach does in any sport is sometimes you bring in someone just to help get the locker room right. You know, so you think about Xavi at Barcelona. One of the first things he did was sign Danny Alves, who's an older defender, but a guy he used to play with and a guy that he knows is going to get the help get yeah, the locker room right. No, yep, not, yep. but not what he does on the field as much as help off the, field, the infrastructure right? off the field. Yeah. So if, if Megan Rapino is playing and helping in those locker room ways, then she absolutely should be in the group. Well, here's here's the rub, and you have this as a coach because uh, and look, Anson Doran's his his book mentions this as well where um sometimes you know when uh, the players are there for a long time they say i'm a senior i should be playing and it just doesn't work that way and so the question is for a coach is to say do you keep a former star or, or a current you know star kind of on the on the cuts on the way out do you keep them on the bench to make that super sub sort of thing because sometimes an older player can be a bad influence on the bench, as well as a Danny Alves, which can be a positive influence. I mean, I know uh, Joe Maroney at UConn used to say, if you're a senior and you're not starting, he cuts you, scholarship or not. Because he goes, I don't want it. Then sitting on the bench grumbling about how I'm an asshole, not playing you, and and you know more than me. And yeah, all look, I, I'm not, I don't have anything against Joe Maroney, but I mean that's the easy way out, right? Like the real way is to manage people and to talk to people and have conversations and say, look, there's still a way to contribute to the group, and here's how I see it, and you set that standard from freshman year, not just having that conversation. Holy seat. shit. I feel like I'm in my therapist's office right now. You're really good, dude. I think you, you, you are in the wrong job. <laughs> You're a great coach, but shit, man, I think, uh, uh, you got like got a little, little therapy in there. That was good. Yeah, but but when you when you my asshole comment, you just turned it around yeah. on me. You're like, you really should you should really evaluate that, Kevin. And no, yeah. but from the very beginning, when you get a group, you're you're always talking about what it means inside the group to make contributions. How, how do you make a contribution to the group? So coaches should be establishing that standard all the time and reinforcing it so that someone's arc may be shooting up or potentially down. But within that, as long as they're doing what's required and they're fit and healthy, eligible, whatever it is based on the level that you're at, then they have a, a role to play in that team. Now, 
part of that is sitting down with a Megan Rapinoe at one point and saying, look, I think you slowed down too much. You know, I don't think it's worth having you in the group, but it's not going to be to be in the locker room and be, uh, you know, just a rah, rah person. You know, she's far, far more talented than that. And she's got to read all these athletes. You know how it is. They have unbelievable awareness of their own bodies. So most of the time they're aware of how much they've slowed down, at least, at least a little bit. And sometimes they need third party opinions. But that's what coaches are for, is to talk to them about those kinds of things and, and to still find a way for them to have a role. So just to say, oh, I'm cutting you because you're not starting, like, I would never do that. All right. Well, you're the opposite of an asshole, I guess. And you lost me at shooting an arc. That's all I, I heard. <laughs> but, but, by, the, by the way, I just saw Top Gun. Have you seen it yet? The remake? <laughs> no. I'm uh, waiting to take my kids. I'm excited. Okay. It's, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, a lot of action, great music, uh, you know. So my friend texted me and said, hey, did you see it yet? I said, no, but let me guess. Tom Cruise has to really battle adversity. And in the end, he deals with the, with, with the enemies and comes out on top and gets the girl somehow. Am I right? He was if, like, you ask, <laughs> if you ask, uh, I, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who said his daughter was the same. She goes, oh, Tom Cruise, is that the guy? He's in those like movies that say, they're all the same. And I'm kind of like, wow, I, I guess kind of it is. But this one, this one is good. I like it. It's a remake. Was you, you? We just heard you swallow water on the podcast. That, that's what that. No, was. that th I didn't swallow. That was we're right near the ocean here. It was that long therapy speech you gave me. For God's sakes, yeah, uh, you, yeah, you, had a, you, you were parched. Um, uh, anyway, it was a good movie. And then I'm watching the uh, the the January sixth committee there. That was pretty interesting today. As well. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna like this. January sixth is my birthday. Is it really? Yeah. How would you like to have a friend who's September 11th is his birthday? <laughs> my friend, I had an assistant coach's birthday was September 11th. I used to give him the hardest time in the world. And then boom, January 6th, capital. That's karma. Yes, it's all karma. <laughs> you know, I guess your birthday, who cares? Um, hey, so, uh, you know, I did that dinner a couple of weeks ago with Paul Gardner, Mike Wojtola from Soccer America, you know, uh, Arnie Ramirez, Sunil Galati. Yeah. One of the guys that was at the table, uh, I didn't. I knew of him. I had never met him, but it was Father Edwin Leahy of St. Benedict's. Did, did you know him? Uh, did you know his story? No, when he said Father, I went to Guido Sarducci right away. I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, no. An amazing, he's done an amazing job. The players, Burhalter is one of them. Uh, Tab Ramos, Serena, you know. A lot oh, it's St. Benedict's. Yeah, St. Benedict's. Got it, got it, yeah. What, what did I say? Shoot the arc instead? What did I say? I didn't say I said the wrong I, word. You said Father Leahy, and then I got distracted by Father Guido Sarducci, and then I didn't pay attention for like eight seconds. Well, you get an ADD like me now. It's <laughs> terrible. It's <laughs> contagious. <laughs> if we lose you, we're toast. <laughs> oh, my God. But, I, you know, I always say this, um, how America is – is uniquely soccer uh, built, I think, because of the immigrant or, or a land of immigrants. We've talked about this in the show before, and he said it's a great way to bring people in to uh, you know from different ethnic backgrounds, including you know third, fourth generation Americans, whatever. I don't know who's one of those. Maybe our producer Ken Park is fourth uh, generation American, but it was like it was a really wonderful story. And I sat with him, uh, and I had just happened to go um, to a christening of a friend of mine, uh, his daughter had a baby. So I went to the christening. And so I, I received communion, which I hadn't done in a while. And, and he says, uh, he's looking at, he goes, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, it's well, you could, he goes, I, I said mass today. I go, but yeah, I went. He goes, Oh, you went today. I said, yeah. You know, like I go, I can't go on yeah. Sunday. And I don't, I just happened. It was good timing. I just happened yeah. to, uh, to be there. So I wanted to put a, um, so that's a lie. You basically lied to a priest kind of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. I used to do it all the time. Like, uh, I'd go into confession. I'd be like, uh, you know, I'd been in confession. When I became a godfather for my daughter, uh, my sister's son, she, my mom wanted me to do a confession. So I went in there, and I hadn't been in, like, 10 years. And I'm like, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been two months since my last confession. I oh, think. right out of the gate. Lie. Right? And I was waiting for a trap door to open up. Like, <laughs> They're out of there. Oh, God. And then I just tacked that lie on at the end of my confessional. <laughs> Circular in nature. Yeah, after my long masturbation uh, penance, uh, I, got, I got that. So, uh, all right. Well, so, so some good stuff. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about and finish this up because I've had a few of my friends say that I got halfway through your career. Uh, but when we talked last about your journey through the soccer world, you were the senior director of soccer. 
which is like that's like being the drug czar or something. That's like a pretty overwhelming name. Like, uh, so what is that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it. Whew, this was way back. So this was uh, my last year in San Jose was two thousand one. So it was like two thousand two thousand one. Um, you know, they didn't really have the general manager tag the way they do now, you know, like yeah. we, at the time we had a general manager, Tom Neal, and he oversaw everything. Uh, and I worked under the soccer side kind of underneath that. What was it? What was his name? Tom Neal. Yeah. 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 And, and so he was a general manager and spent a lot of time, uh, overlooking everything, namely the, the, the business of it, cause there was so much to do. And then I was kind of brought in to work strictly on the soccer side and collaborated with him in that regard. And then over the years, the way MLS evolved, you know, those positions kind of broke apart, right? So now you had an actual player personnel person, whether you call them, uh, you know, a GM or, you know, director of football, whatever it is that those titles kind of went to the right and then, then you have your business people, your business operations, your presidents, all that. And he or she is working on really the business side of it. So, you know, that, that broke off in a more clear way. But in the early part of MLS, you know, one person was wearing one hat and doing all those things. And I was the beginning of breaking off into a side role. And then eventually it broke all the way apart. Well, let me let me ask you this, though, because you went to graduate school at, at UMass. Uh, yeah. For sports management, right? Yeah. And that's how I, I got to know you through Michael Gibbons, who was there at the same time. Gibby. You, Gibby. And you're working with the team as well there. Um, so what it's like, it's interesting because like Lexi Lawless was a GM. It didn't seem to work out for him. Um, what are the qualities that you need in management? And then because it's a coach, you're a manager as well. But you've kind of you moved from sort of on a management track. And then you sort of jumped off and went back into the coaching track. What was the, the yeah, idea? yeah? It's 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 uh, the many different ways I've thought about it through the years. But the, it's best summarized, you know. Remember Sir Bobby Robson, who you know the old English manager who um, was at Barcelona at one point, and and he was the manager of Barcelona, and at one point he was their technical director. You know, after he was kind of pushed out of the managing role. And the way he describes it is, I think, the best way, which is, you know, there's two sides to the knife. And when you're the coach or the manager, you're on the sharp side of things. And when you're on the administrative side, it's the blunt end of it. You know, and I certainly felt that like I enjoyed both sides to it. And look, there was roster construction. Our San Jose team won an MLS championship. It was an amazing experience, all that kind of stuff. And there's the building of it, but you're not quite on the field working with the players in the same way that a coach does. And so for me, that was a little different. So ultimately, the return to coaching is what made more sense for me. Um, but I've always kind of played with all different sides of it, whether it's scouting or everything. I've kind of kept my hand in all sides of it. That's why I continued on after San Jose with Chivas USA and then LAFC. I've, I've, I've had different roles through those years. But yeah, there's two sides to the game and, and you have to almost decide which one you like more. Yeah, because, you know, like, I, and I've talked about this before, you know, hanging out with Mike Noonan, playing with him. Then when he goes on to be a coach, totally dedicated. Nick O'Shea, same thing. Um, uh, Dave Mazur. I enjoyed playing. Like, I remember Noonan came out with his team when he was coaching Brown at UCLA. And, it, you know, he invited me out. I knocked it around with the team. And I was, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe 30 at the time. So it was like it still had some legs left. I was in absolute heaven. Um, but I loved finishing up my sweat, taking a shower, having a beer, not with the guys because they're in college, but, um, you know, because they don't drink beer in college. I had a beer with Noonan. But, I, I mean, it's like it's done. I almost feel like the same thing about stand-up. You know, it's the management end of things. We've talked about this before as well where it's a business. And you're if you get the right management, things can sort of take off for you. But if you, if you don't, um, you know, you just kind of you're a player. Yeah, I say, I mean, I don't want to speak about your world, but I would, I would think that the analogy would be doing stand up the way you do, or being, let's say, a comedy writer for a sitcom or for, or for another comedian, writing jokes for another comedian, right? So, or working on Saturday Night Live as a writer and not an on air talent. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, is that something? Because to me, that's where the similarities are. Like, you make a huge contribution to the show. You're not on air, right? And it's the same thing as a GM. You, you're making huge contributions, yeah. but the fans don't really know who you are. You're not the one on camera. Do you ever? Th well, are you, I, 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 you I, have I been mean, on that side? I might be the asshole now, but I, I, I was always the talent. I wanted to be the talent as a player, uh, as a stand-up comic, as an actor. That way, what's interesting is. But why? Why? Because, I, because of the adrenaline of it. 
Yeah, I think it's the high wire act a little bit. Yeah, um, that's know, what coaching is. And there's definitely a show off element to to what I do. You got to be nuts to go up on stage in front of people sometimes. It's yeah. Like, you know, uh, I mean, and I, I think about it sometimes. People are like you crazy to go up there. I'm like, I don't know. I have a tough time with acting because it's if I say the wrong thing on stage. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, nobody knows if I've said the right words or not. It's it's all mine, and it's there's an improvisational quality to it. But in acting, my God, when I did that Fairly Brother movie, I'm like, it's like the pressure is unbelievable, you know. And it's not yeah. free flowing. You don't have that. To go back to saying a, a player going somewhere for the first time, it takes him a while to kind of get up to speed and figure. Even great players, right? Uh, some can step right in, but most need the time to assimilate a little bit. And I think. With the type of acting I've done, I have to go into a big situation where it's Sex and the City. It's like you don't know your local field, you don't know the players, you don't know anybody. You're just a kind of a a drop in. You know, you're like a gun for hire for the day. I was gonna say, yeah, practical. yeah, that's the hired gun aspect to it. But if you put that aside, you say, okay, but you have your stand up, which you can craft as you go and have different mm -hmm. chapters to it through the years. And like you say, that's the high wire act, you know, and, and there's a purity to that, that I think I've, I, I see in coaching, like there's a period, you're the head coach and you're on your own. You are, you're on your right. own. You have, you collaborate with staff, you collaborate with players, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately you have to make those decisions just to, like you have to write and decide which jokes are going to ultimately be in the show or the special or whatever it is. But there's so much commitment to it. That's why, like, I always think I was talked to coaches recently about like the most recent Champions League campaign where, you know, there was, I forgot what round it was, semifinals or quarterfinals between Man City and Atletico Madrid. And Man City ultimately advances, uh, you know, Pep advances over uh, Cholo Simeone. But there's a point where a City scores the goal. And when City scores the goal, I don't know if you remember, but Pep takes so his water exciting. bottle and throws his water bottle and has such anger. And I was trying to explain, it's not anger, you know, it's okay. Yeah. It's competitiveness, but it, it's a lifetime of work to create a certain kind of football. And when you can create that for your team and they execute it, there's a beauty in that. And it becomes like a surreal emotion. And, and yeah, there's an anger to it because the guy across the sideline is trying to do the exact same thing right. and he's got his ideas and they're drastically different, which makes those two really great, you know, arena, it's a great arena, right. For drama. But that, that's where like, that's the sharp end of things and it can become addictive. Right. And that's why I think coaching is addictive. And oh, I want that, to stand up as I imagine it has well, to be, uh, you know, forget stand up. Cause it's funny. I was in Key West and, you know, killed it Thursday and Friday night. And then Bob Lee and a bunch of friends came on Saturday night and it was sunny out. So no one showed up and it was a miserable crowd. And you're, you're like, you go from being thinking you're great to thinking you suck. And as a comic, you just try to even it all out. But as a coach, like I said, the guys that I played with, they thought in a coaching way as they were playing. But, um, but what I am really taken by, and I put you in this camp is really good coaches our mentors, our educators, our teachers, not just to win, uh, especially on a college level. I mean, I see what Noonan goes through at Clemson. I mean, there's high pressure there. You play in the ACC, you, you, know, you don't have an easy game. And every time I talk to him, he talks about how proud he is of their, their grade point average, the guys who have gone on to do great things. They come back to the program. It's like all the things that coaching are supposed to be about, you know, leading, a, a, you know, a shaping good people. To go out there and if you're you know it's almost like the john wooden stuff you you, you didn't beat the other guy you your team uh, it was better on the day because you did the work you, you put it in and um yeah i mean that should be a part of the college job i mean i think people take that on in different ways there's coach speak uh you know some coaches are more sincere about it than others to be to be honest um, you know, that, you know, what to say to your AD, you know, what to say to your, to your boosters, you know, what to say, you know, um, and then and you, and you know, those guys, you know, those guys, yeah, yeah, there are people out there, you know, in any industry, there's people out there who are more sincere than others, you know, um, and, and, but at the same time, there's also people who really embrace that. And then for some, you know, I, and I'll speak for myself, like, I, I really do want to win and be competitive because that's what gives it more enjoyment for me to be, you know, uh, truly stepping on that that pedal of trying to get, gain success and doing the other things as well. So it's an interesting kind of thing where, I mean, you could argue that the NCAA is conflicted, right? Because it's like, well, what are you really trying to do? Are we trying to create a mentorship program or are we trying to win games? Because those are, 
you know, at, at well, I, I would to a point this, where they conflict. I would say this, they conflict within the NCAA because they care about the football teams and the basketball teams that win, but they don't care about the other sports. And so there's a hypocrisy there. And, and I definitely have always have a chip on my shoulder for the NCAA, but I have a greater respect for coaches now because I've seen, even in my hometown, you know, our football team used to win state championships. It used to piss me off because I was on the soccer team. You know, it was like, we didn't get, but I realized now those, those guys, uh, they shaped young men and uh, they've been good contributors to society. So you can wear your psychology hat, your therapist hat there that you, that you had, and, and you can go into the locker room and talk about bending the arc or whatever it was. Or well, the, the hard part is for coaches, and there's a lot of great people out there who put a little bit more emphasis on the mentorship side to things, and it could, in theory or in effect, affect their ability to win. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting and difficult situation because, you know, what, what goes on in your resume? You know, what, what, what do you get kind of evaluated by? And, you know, it's a, it's a very transparent, you know, job that you have. Right. Cause if, if everybody's watching you, yeah. 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 Like if my wife, if my wife meets somebody and they say, Oh, your husband's a coach. Like what was his record last year? It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. it, like that's a common question. It's like, really? Oh, you're in sales. How much money did you make last year? Like, you know, you wouldn't ask that question of somebody else, but our numbers are out there for everybody to see. So does that mean that's the most important thing? Because that's not what the job description is. The job description is the mentor. Right. Hey, we're 0 and 11, but we've really shaped some great individuals. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that. You know, I, I tell this story. I, I remember telling my family this story. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school and uh, I'm on I'm on the bench playing on the basketball team. And there's like, I don't know, maybe 40 seconds left before uh, the end of the third quarter. And the coach puts me in, you know, 30 seconds. And I'm kind of pissed, you know. And I, I get in, I get a rebound, I kick it back out to somebody for a shot. He hits it, misses it. All right. And then that's it. I don't get back in to the game. And I'm like seating on, this, on the sidelines, you know, on the bench. And the next morning in practice, the coach is just, and I would have gone through a wall for this guy this coach phil house he's passed away now but he grabs me by the shirt and says you know if you want to be a team player do what kevin flynn did pulls me out and goes i give him 30 seconds to be impactful he goes out gets a rebound kicks it back out we got another chance and it's why the game went into overtime and it's why we won the game i was like oh my god i was like what a difference it made i was like oh, what an asshole i was on the bench sitting there you know it's always uh you never think of the coach's perspective we're all thinking about how it impacts me and what, what, what about me? And I'm embarrassed and what, you know, and then it was a big lesson for me to say, man, shut up and, and, and put your work in and you'll get your chance. And when you do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was referring to before is like, you know, if you, when you create a team culture, you want to create one in which everyone understands the path to having a good day. Like, what does it mean to have a good day? What does it mean to contribute to the group? You know, and, and when that becomes a little bit more clearly defined, then I, and obviously in, the, in a random basketball story, like that's not going to come out. But when you're with a group day in, day out, yeah, some four years on end, you know, you have the ability to really influence a situation or, or, or a culture behind a team. And so like in that situation, in a perfect world, you would have known that that play had great value. You know what I mean? And not been surprised by that coach's comment, but that takes a lot more time. Like that's, you know, that that's what the crafting of a program is like, or a team dynamic. Well, I think the, the hardest struggle and why probably I don't do that. What you do is, you know, and I remember I would come home and um, I remember I would complain about a coach when I was growing up and my father, my father was always give more than you get. That was one of the things he goes, Hey, that guy's out there coaching you kids for an hour. The least you can do is get out there, give more than you can get. For God's sakes, look, he could be home having dinner with his family, but he's out coaching you kids. And now you're complaining. I'm like, Jesus. All right. And he's right. Yeah. It did help me. It really did. So, uh, yeah. all right. So I applaud the work you do. Uh, we are, it, it's sort of the same way. Cause you get up in front of the, you're up on stage in the locker room. Um, you know, we saw Jesse Marsh talking half German, half English, you know, motivating players, motivating men and women. Uh, so I take I tip my hat off to you. So uh, we'll call this the Chris Shamity's uh, podcast special. Um, all right, pal. So uh, we'll watch a game tomorrow night. I'm going to be back in New York City, hopefully. I go to Jamaica on Wednesday uh, for the Jamaica week. Queens. Yes. No, Jamaica, Jamaica. Oh, okay. I was laughing. I was talking to one of my buddies. He's Jamaican. And, and I told him, 
uh, I had tweeted once, and I think I've said this on the show before, but I had tweeted once, I heard the Jamaican national anthem, and I was like, oh my God, you know, tubas and bum, 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 bum. And I'm like, oh man, it should be reggae. And I, I tweeted that. Someone's like, you racist. I'm like, how is that racist, man? I can't believe it was racist. This guy's <laughs> Bob Marley, no one's been able to touch what he's done ever, you know? He and Bob Marley was a soccer guy, right? Wasn't he? Oh, a yeah, yeah. Player? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time, big time. So, yeah. All right. And then, uh, but there's Edinburgh in your future, you were saying, right? Yeah, when, do you, when are you there? All August, August 3rd to 28th. So all seven listeners of this podcast, come out to Edinburgh, drop the OTB name, and uh, I'll get you uh, half price. All right? Boy, that's well, so, so if they fly to Edinburgh, they, <laughs> yeah. get, them half they get half price? Yeah. This is the difference. That's now, a great deal. No, the, the difference is, God's honest, honestly. In theaters, I'm used to working at comedy clubs. And when you work as a at a comedy club, you walk in, you say, "Hey, man, I got the I got four people coming in." Da, da, da. Yeah. You go, but you go to the bar, you get your drinks. You know, you do. You know, you're kind of uh, yeah, yeah, because they're selling boo food and booze. And yeah, stuff. I just go, yeah, I got four. Put four on the list. Theaters, oh my god, they're always struggling for money. So it's like uh, you, uh, can have, you can have two guests in August. Hmm. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So I got I got to get used to this. Uh, wow. Because, you know, one of the things you, you know, oh, not anymore, you'd be, you know, you meet some girls out and be like, oh, I'll come to the show. <laughs> and they'd come in. And, uh, and, so uh, OTV fans should go to Edinburgh. For half off for beer half, lights. Half off a beer, perhaps, after <laughs> the show. No, they can buy me a beer, but I'll, I'll get them in the half off. I'll sneak them in the back door. <laughs> well, if they have the OTB t-shirts on, which I hear are selling like hotcakes. Hey, we should We should sell. definitely... Yeah. I, I gotta say this, everybody loves our design, so uh, we should get some t-shirts. So, um, All right, we got a phone number uh, that you can call. I don't know what it is. Ken, do you know what the number is? We got it? Um, but, you know, I think we should get on that. I think we should get on t-shirts. That would be a good idea. Mugs. Hats. Uh, let's pace ourselves. If the t-shirts sell, we'll move on to other merchandise. Uh, if only we had eight fans. If we had what? Eight fans. You said eight seven. Fans. That's my number. Eight. Yeah. Uh, well, that was your soccer uh, number? Yeah, it was that was my number in soccer. Wow. I was 21. Jesus. What are you like Gretzky 99 or something? You know. Pierlo. Oh, Pierlo. Nice. Yeah. A lot of people say uh I played a lot like him. Who who were these people? <laughs> Where are they now? <laughs> One is my mom. One's in a mental institution. Yeah, the other's my mom. <laughs> In fact, my mom's in a mental institution. <laughs> Same person. <laughs> she's got a couple personalities. We call her Sybil. Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, so it was one person, basically. All right. Well, good stuff, man. Good catching up. Uh, I'm on the road again, but uh, we'll watch the game tomorrow and then next week. We'll, yeah. Safe travels, uh, Kev. I'll be back uh, stateside after that. So, all right, everybody. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. Man, you do not know the work that it went in to get this thing uh, up and running today. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time uh, on OTB. 